So I'll begin briefly by saying, just acknowledging that today is Memorial Day. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny, we gather in this room just to talk about spirituality. But it's, it's funny because in so many societies that have existed on the earth, a group like this would be illegal or dangerous or something like that, you know, and even even in societies that exist today in the world, you know, in other parts of the world, something like this would be forbidden or dangerous or illegal, you know. And, you know, for us, it's just, it's so safe to be here. Um... You know, and the the reason it's safe in, in part is because people have fought very hard for this. You know, people in the American Revolution, people died in order to create a society that, for example, had separation of church and state, you know, which is something we just take for granted now, but that was a radical idea at the time. Um, so just to acknowledge that, um, you know, how can I say? We shouldn't take for granted the fact that we can be so at ease in coming to something like this. You know, it, it's, uh, it's often important to acknowledge what I would call the miraculous of the ordinary. You know, so just not to take that for granted. The, my, the topic of my talk today is enthusiasm. This is part four of a six-part series um, the last three weeks, I talked about uh, generosity, discipline, and patience, the first three paramitas. The next two weeks, I'll be talking about concentration and insight. But this is the paramita of enthusiasm. And to begin, I'm going to go back to a topic I talked about a little bit last week, the idea of a near enemy. This is a Buddhist idea. A near enemy is something that is similar to a virtuous state, but but profoundly different from it in important ways. And the example often used is compassion, of course, is a virtuous state. Pity is the near enemy of compassion. Something like cruelty would be the far enemy of compassion. Um, you know, if you think about it, you know, say on your worst day, you know, you were cruel, you, you said a cruel remark to somebody. When you're thinking about it later, you know, you'd regret it. There'd be no way that you would ever confuse that cruel moment for compassion. Like we, we know at an instinctual level, cruelty is not compassion, you know. Um, there's no, from the Buddhist point of view, there's no confusion at all around that. But pity is very different, you know. If someone's suffering, perhaps I would, you know, say I offered them pity, I might walk away thinking how compassionate I was, you know. And in fact, even the person receiving the pity might might think, you know, gee, Mike was very compassionate. But pity doesn't nourish us. It doesn't engage the other person the way that compassion does, you know. So it, it in that sense, it's confusing. You know, I might walk around for years giving people pity, thinking I'm a compassionate person. I'd be confused by it. So enthusiasm has a couple near enemies. 
one near enemy of enthusiasm is excitement. And in fact, some it's so confusing that sometimes people use those two words interchangeably. You know, I'm enthusiastic about such and such, I'm excited about such and such, you know. So excitement is a stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system, it's, it's part of our nervous system that it's been honed by millions of years of evolution. It's the part of our nervous system that revs us up. It governs fight or flight. Uh, stress is run off of the, you know, from the sympathetic nervous system, anxiety. All these are, are states that involve the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system really, it was designed by evolution to prepare us for an immediate physical life and death kind of situation, you know, something where we'd have to fight or flee for our survival. And so what the sympathetic nervous, it really does everything perfect for that situation. Our heart get, you know, starts pounding, our breath gets shallowed, blood gets shunted away from internal organs toward our outer muscles. Our, our muscles are kind of, you know, tense, you know, ready for action. Um, it shuts down digestion, it shuts down immune function because at the moment that I'm fighting for my life, those things don't matter so much, you know. It's maximizing my, my chance for survival in a life or death kind of struggle. Now, meanwhile, the other part of the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, that's sometimes called the relaxation response, that does just the opposite. That That's, you know, if I'm in full parasympathetic arousal, then my body is completely relaxed, my heart is calm, my breathing is deep, my, my digestion and immune function are enhanced, um, you know, my, my thinking becomes spacious and clear, creativity opens up with parasympathetic arousal. And it, it's funny because the human body is designed in really all bodies of all mammals, the the optimum would be, say, in a typical day, I had like 90 or 95 percent parasympathetic arousal punctuated by a very small interval of sympathetic arousal. You know, that might be, for example, a person who was relaxed most of the day and then just had a vigorous exercise session as part of that day, you know. In practice, we live in a society in which most people are in sympathetic arousal 100% of the time, 24-7. This is probably one of the only groups of, you know, the only cohort of adults on earth that have ever, you know, where so many people are saying, I don't know how to relax, or I have a lot of trouble relaxing, you know. Whereas relaxing was, you know, through certainly pre-civilization and really through most agrarian cultures, you know, up until the Industrial Revolution, Relaxing is how most people spent most of their day, you know. And so, how can I say? The, the sympathetic nervous system can be addictive in the sense that we get hits of adrenaline, you know. And so, people, there are lots of people who are excitement junkies. You know, they want that next hit of adrenaline. But of course, if I'm... If I'm pursuing lots of excitement in my life, I'm using the same brain circuitry 
that is used by stress and anxiety and everything else. Essentially, I'm practicing how to have stress or practicing how to have anxiety. And a life high in excitement is likely to be a life high in stress or high in anxiety. Um, I'll say the irony of this culture is that for many people, what quote-unquote relaxing looks like is watching TV, watching movies, playing video games. All of these things stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, you know. And so all of them, you know, it might feel like relaxing. And, you know, my hypothesis is that, you know, people are unhappy with the the thought and emotion loops that they're, they're caught in. So when they turn to electronic entertainment, it powerfully interrupts their own thoughts. So they get a break, as it were, from their own internal difficulties. You know, so in that sense, it is it is a break. It is relaxation. Um, but it, again, it's still stimulating the same parts of the brain. You know, more stress, more anxiety, harder to relax. Um, so it's funny because excitement and enthusiasm have a lot in common. And I think when, when we're revved up in sympathetic arousal, the two of them might be blended together. The real distinction is, if I, if I go to full parasympathetic arousal, that is to say, if I'm fully relaxed, I can't be excited, but I can still be enthusiastic. And that, that's really the difference that... You know, you might say that it's almost like a distillation, like enthusiasm is what's left of excitement when we're totally relaxed. So that's one important distinction. Another near enemy of enthusiasm, and this is a little harder to articulate, it's what I might call something like enforced positivity. You know, and say a person who it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the, the walled city idea of the psyche, you know, and someone who decides that, you know, um, you know, maybe a person who has suffered a lot of negativity earlier in life, you know, I'm just going to experience joy. I'm just going to experience happiness. I'm just going to, you know, and all the happy states, generosity and gratitude, all that, but sort of this militant refusal to experience anger, sadness, grief shame, fear, you know, all the quote-unquote negative emotions. Now, a person like that might walk through life very happy, exuding happiness, and it will might present as something like enthusiasm. Um, but of course, any, any, you know, we, how can I say, we're, we're powerfully governed by what we repress, you know, and if I'm repressing all that negative energy, it's going to be driving me in some other ways, whether, you know, it's perfectionism or people-pleasing behavior or needing to be the fixer or, you know, something like this. So, enthusiasm, understood as the, in Buddhism, the paramita of enthusiasm. First of all, enthusiasm, you might say, supercharges the other virtues, you know. 
And if you th- you think, for example, what, it, you know, someone being an enthusiastic listener, you know, boy, that's great what you're into. Tell me more about that. That's really exciting. You know, it it's incredibly validating to to be listened to by an enthusiastic listener, you know. And so someone who is enthusiastic about compassion, enthusiastic, enthusiastically generous, enthusiastic about discipline, enthusiastic about being patient, you know, it, it kind of supercharges the other states. Um, and ultimately, understood in Buddhism, it's about enthusiasm for pursuing this, the spiritual path enthusiasm for following Buddhism, for following the path of Buddhism. And it's interesting, if you think about it, say if our, we're on a path towards something like Buddhist enlightenment or Hindu moksha or, you know, similar states and other traditions, you know, part of what it means to approach that state is that we are we are dissolving or or breaking ego attachments. And that sounds so lovely in the abstract. You know, all these things sound very lovely in the abstract. And, and of course, some ego t- attachments are relatively light. And I think we've all had the experience of, you know, I can let that go, that's not a big deal. You know, some, some ego attachments are not a big deal. But our deepest ego attachments which were formed really when ego was forming in, in infancy, are wrapped up with our deepest fears, our deepest triggers. They're wrapped up with, you know, whatever early childhood dysfunctions, you know, control issues and relational dis- dysfunctions and all that stuff. It's, it's tied up with all of that. Um, and so part of enthusiasm is just the recognition if I'm on the spiritual path, I'm going to be facing, I'm going to be coming face to face within with deep fears and powerful triggers. And just accept like that's part of the path, accepting that and almost realizing that when I come in contact with a deep fear or powerful trigger, like regarding that as pay dirt, like that, that's actually validation that, that I'm going in the right direction. If I'm, if I'm, coming upon deep triggers in my own path, you know. And so that's, uh, it takes a, a high degree of capacity, takes a large capacity to be able to, to maintain enthusiasm in the, in the face of such triggers. Um, now, in, in the spiritual path, of course, just by going within or, you know, what, whatever readings we encounter or something like this, we can be challenged and, and brought face to face with, with triggers. Um, life also presents us with challenges, you know, and those challenges might be job related, relationship related, health related, you know, um, Part of enthusiasm is embracing those, you know, not as a, you know, woe me, why, you know, why did this happen to me? But this is a further opportunity for spiritual growth, a further opportunity to practice patience, discipline, etc., etc. 
and not, uh, how can I say, and not denying everything that's human about it. When we face a challenge, we're going to be angry. We're going to have sadness. We're going to have grief. We're going to have a whole range of emotions. And just knowing, you know, you know, being being enthusiastic about embracing the fact, okay, you know, I'm facing a challenge. There's going to be grief as part of it. There's going to be anger as part of this. You know, like that 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 just goes with the territory, you know. So enthusiasm has a, it has kind of a spunk to it, a kind of, you know, it's like the old Irish saying, you know, is this a private fight or can anyone join? You know, has that kind of, you know, roll with the punches kind of spunk to it. Um, one of the deepest ego attachments is the attachment to how fast I'm challenged. The, the attachment to how fast, you know, to what kind of challenges, you know, wanting to control what ch- kind of challenges I'm faced or the way that I'm challenged, you know. Uh, you know, and to a certain extent, you know, I control what I read, I control the conversations I'm in, you know. There, there's lots of very subtle ways that I can control, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll face this challenge and this challenge, but I'll steer away from that challenge, you know. And and the psyche has such, um, how can I say, the, the self-deluding aspects of the psyche are so powerful that, you know, if there's a challenge I really don't want to face, I'm going to find a thousand excuses. Oh, that's not important. I think I've kind of dealt with that already. You know, like I'm going to find a thousand excuses not to face it. One very powerful way to confront that ego attachment is to invite feedback. And I was, some of you know that I was in this group for 20 years called CAF, C-A-F-H. No one has ever heard of this group. It's a South American spiritual group centered on meditation. But one of the CAF ideas is to be a spiritual person, I need to be radically open to feedback, you know, like if I'm if I'm thinking I'm a spiritual person, but I'm walking through the world and everyone thinks I'm a jerk, like I'm not really a spiritual person then, you know, like in other words, I have to be thinking about how I, I have to be open to the kind of impact I'm leaving on others and open to whatever feedback that they're going to give me, you know, and how can I say when we're out in the wilds of the world, you know, and say someone is triggered and giving us feedback, you know, it, of course, it's important to have good boundaries with receiving it, you know, but, you know, it may be that a lot of times that person, that triggered person, their feedback to me might be 90% their own stuff, you know, but there might be a seed there that's good for me to reflect on, you know. I think the most powerful feedback comes from the thoughtful, perceptive people who have known us a long time, you know. And often the people who have known us for a long time, they have some powerful feedback for us. And really to be open to that, like really to ask the hard questions, like, you know, don't sugarcoat it. Please tell me, you know, like that kind of thing. And that's a hard thing to do, you know. But of course, when we're opening to feedback, we're, it's a way of letting go of controlling what challenges I face because I never know 
what what I'm going to be hit with from the other person, you know. So how do we develop more enthusiasm? It's hard. To some extent, it's an attitude or an orientation. It's something that we have to keep on practicing. It's almost like a muscle we build. Um, Certainly, increasing our capacity helps with enthusiasm. And the way we increase capacity is simply by sitting every day with whatever is at our edge, whatever is the most that we can handle at any one moment. Just sitting with that day after day after day. And then slowly we acclimate, then we can hold a little bit more, a little bit more over time. That's how we grow our capacity. Um, and you know, part of it is being enthusiastic about growing our capacity every day. Um, and it's also, I think, just something that develops naturally out of the healing process. The more I heal myself, the more I'm able to drop into my body, drop into my vulnerability the more I'm in touch with just my, my authentic vital energy. And enthusiasm is ultimately an expression of that vital energy. And I think I'll say also, um, there's a lot of traditional imagery in Buddhism that the Buddha is a hero, that you know the, the Buddha was, he's a victorious conqueror, you know, this kind of thing. Um, Insofar as we're taking, we're serious about taking our spiritual path, we're being heroic, you know, and really to acknowledge that heroism um, and to support other people, you know, in that, you know, we are, we're each the hero in our own struggle, you know, and really to, to honor that for what it is. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. So I'll share it with the Zoomies. Good hybrid etiquette. So the first quote is from the Tao Te Ching, and I love this quote. He's talking about the sage, and he says, Who else could quietly and gradually evolve from the muddy to the clear? Who else could slowly but steadily move from the inert to the living? And I really like that as an image of the separation of excitement from enthusiasm, like someone becoming so calm that everything about the, you know, the muddy water settles. You know, they become so still and clear. And then from that place of clarity and complete peace, you know, from that still point, this tremendous driving enthusiasm, driving them forth into the world. Not an easy thing to do. This is, this is Lao Tzu talking about the sage. Confucius said, when you're laboring for others, let it be with the same zeal as if it were for yourself. 
William Blake, who was one of the most enthusiastic people ever to walk the face of the earth, said, for everything that lives is holy. Life delights in life. His friend Coleridge said, nothing is so contagious as enthusiasm. Washington Irving, who who lived in the same area where I grew up, said, Indeed, there is eloquence in true enthusiasm that is not to be doubted. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. said, It's faith in something and enthusiastic enthusiasm for something that makes a life worth living. Thoreau says, Enthusiasm is a supernatural serenity. Another candidate for one of the most enthusiastic people ever on the face of the earth, Papa Walt. <laughs> to me, every hour of the day and night is an unspeakably perfect miracle. <laughs> you know, just think about that. And think about that, like, in rough moments of your day. You know, how can I say? I used to work with an, I studied with an energy healer in Southern California. And, and all of us in the class, we would joke about the fact whenever there was any kind of interruption in the agenda or lunch is not going to be ready for another hour, anything like that, she would always, her response was the same. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Now we can do X for an hour and as we went for lunch or something like this, you know. And it was, oh, perfect, you know. Charles Bookson says, experience shows that success is due less to ability than to zeal. James Whitman Riley said, the most essential factor is perseverance, the determination never to allow your energy or enthusiasm to be dampened by the discouragement that must inevitably come. You know? And how can I say? Discouragement is part of life. We know that. You know? And to have enthusiasm, you know, to have built into our enthusiasm, all right, there's going to be days I'm going to be discouraged and I'm still going to press on, you know? The Zen master Soyan Shaku said, My heart burns like fire, but my eyes are as cold as dead ash. And I just like that image of so calm, yet having that power of enthusiasm within. Henry Ford said, Enthusiasm is the yeast that makes your hope shine to the stars. Enthusiasm is the sparkle in your eyes, the swing in your gait, the grip of your hand, the irresistible surge of will and energy to execute your ideas. Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. It's another great motto to think about. Can you go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm? Einstein said, there are two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other as if everything is a miracle. And really, if you, if you know anything about his biography, he lived very much in that second way. Dale Carnegie said, Today is life, the only life you are sure of. Make the most of today. Get interested in something. Shake yourself awake. Develop a hobby. Let the winds of enthusiasm sweep through you. Live today with gusto. Norman Vincent Peale said, If you have zest and enthusiasm, you attract zest and enthusiasm. Life does give back in kind. 
The photographer Gordon Parks said, Enthusiasm is the electricity of life. How to get it? You act enthusiastic until you make it a habit. Very important. Howard Cosell, of all people, he's on this list. Then there's a still higher type of courage, the courage to brave pain, to live with it, to never let others know of it and still find joy in life, to wake up in the morning with an enthusiasm for the day ahead. Ziegler said, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. (laughs) Paul Meyer says, enthusiasm glows, radiates, permeates, and immediately captures everyone's interest. Joel Osteen said, one of the best reasons we lose our enthusiasm in life is because we become ungrateful. We let what was once a miracle become common to us. We get so accustomed to his goodness that it becomes routine. Akaros Bros said, Success is built in love, passion, and enthusiasm. It is brought to fruition through constancy, routine, and good habits. Laila Gifti Akita said, The possibility of the dream gives strength. Amit Kalantri said, Sometimes imagination outsmarts intelligence, and enthusiasm outshines experience. Mishi McCoy said, I would rather drown in the depths of love than splash around on the shores of complacency. Zuni Lady Seal said, The first inclination of this generation is to talk, talk, talk about anything and everything at any time in every way. But the problem is talk is a sham when it is from a person who knows not much and to whom talk is a pastime. No, stay silent, dream big, dare, take risks, think, talk, think, love. That's my definition of zeal, and that's the definition of greatness. And the last is an African saying, those who love you are not fooled by your mistakes you have made or dark images you hold about yourself. They remember your beauty when you feel ugly, your wholeness when you are broken, your innocence when you feel guilty, and your purpose when you are confused.